You're listening to Nostalgia Be Damned. Steaming now. Guys are busy. You're in charge. You know what? You're a goddamn swordboat captain. Is there anything better in the world? Hello, everybody. My name is Zach. I'm Brandon. And you're listening to another episode of Nostalgia Be Damn, the show where we take some of your favorite movies, the ones you grew up watching, you're nostalgic about. We watch them objectively and we let you know are these movies any good or are you blinded by nostalgia? This week we watched 2000's disaster drama, The Perfect Storm. Ooh, disaster and drama. My God. Ah, the tagline, by the way, of this is just the, the plot of the film. It reads. In the fall of 1991, the Andrea Gale left Gloucester, Massachusetts, and headed for the fishing grounds of the North Atlantic. Two weeks later, an event took place that had never occurred in recorded history. A perfect storm. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's quite the tagline for a movie that... uh, But I think it perfectly sums up the movie, not just in, like... (laughs) The actual words, but in the length and just kind of drawing out of it. (laughs) Wow, wow, wow. Um, Yeah, I don't know how many people are honestly too nostalgic about this movie. In fact, it's a movie that I don't really hear talked about anymore. You know, it's funny that you say that because I watched this because we thought this was streaming on something. It isn't. Um, So hopefully you just have a copy of it lying around somewhere. Classic. Um, (laughs) But I watched it on YouTube um, rented it on YouTube, so naturally you're ac- you get access to all the comments, and everybody in the comment section was like, "This is my favorite movie. I love this movie so much. I used to watch this movie all the time when I was little." It's like, wh- whoa! So people who love this movie go hard on this movie. I guess they do, and it was a movie that I just genuinely hadn't seen in so long that I kind of just used this podcast as a reason to be like, you know what, I kind of could watch The Perfect Storm again. I haven't seen that in a really long time. exactly. I think I saw it one time when it was out on DVD. I watched it with my parents, and that's all I I remember at the time liking it. Yeah. Almost the exact same experience for me. I remember we rented this and watched it with my parents, and it was fine. It was good. It was a movie that I remember a lot of people were talking about at the time of release because it was a pretty big-budgeted movie. Um, this was right around after Titanic and stuff where we're really obsessed with like disaster-type movies, Volcano, Dante's Peak. We just kept getting these big-budget sort of disaster flicks. We need to see more boats sinking into the ocean, into the Atlantic. That's what it is. We had a craving for that. Yeah. and. Especially being from New England, this was a story I always heard about. It's, of course, based in 91, which was the year I was born. So I remember my parents talking about this, too. And it was just like, you know, something we kind of heard about, but not necessarily anything we had seen dramatized. So I Mm -hmm. completely understood why they would make a film off this. Watching the movie now, I I have some thoughts. (laughs) Yeah, and I can't wait to get into those thoughts, especially from you, because as you mentioned, Brandon, as a native of New England, Um, I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on everything from like the culture of this movie down to the accents and like what the, like how accurate this movie is. I unfortunately have only lived it. I only lived in new England for about two years. So I, I have like a vague idea, but as an, as a local, I'm, I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on it. And I, you know, it's interesting that you had heard of this before this movie came out because I had never heard of the Andrea Gale. Never. Gotcha. I'm yeah. being from New York. 
I mean, this this movie, I was actually, I remember when the trailer came out and then I was surprised to find out that it was a true story. Yeah. I think so, the people who have maybe heard of this maybe heard of the storm itself, which was really the first time it had ever happened, this specific type of storm anyway. Again, I think it's probably, we've had worse storms since, and so it's maybe kind of, you know, fallen on the wayside of people's memory, but it was a big deal at the time. Well, yeah, you know, it. we don't want to be a nature pod, but, you know, the world is burning right now, so I'm sure we have had worse storms. So the movie, of course, is based on the true story, but more so based on the 1997 nonfiction book of the same name by Sebastian Younger. The movie, directed by Wolfgang Peterson, he began his career in Germany. He directed uh, Das Boot. I did not know he directed the never-ending story, the original. Uh, mm-hmm. Also did Enemy Mine, Shattered, the Clint Eastwood vehicle in the line of fire, which is pretty sweet from what I remember. Yeah. Um, Outbreak, which was a movie that gained a lot of popularity over the last few years, or a year anyway. Yeah. Which, I, which I would like to do on yeah. this podcast eventually, but it's a little too soon right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he also did Air Force One, uh, Troy, and Poseidon was actually his most recent American release back in 2006. You want to do Troy on the podcast? Good oh my God, God. Man. Three I hours mean, I was going to say, if we have three and a half hours to put aside, <laughs> I remember loving that movie, but anyway. <laughs> Perfect Storm's got a 6.4 on IMDb and a 47% on Rotten Tomatoes. I expected this, again, not seeing this in a while, I expected this to have a higher Rotten Tomato score just because of the pedigree and whatnot. Yeah, 47. me too. The consensus reads, while the special effects are well done and quite impressive, the film suffers a lack of any actual drama or characterization. The end result is a film that offers nifty eye candy and nothing else. Yeah. We'll debate. We'll debate. (laughs) We'll debate on that. But as mentioned, yeah, it was a big deal in the terms of its budget. This cost $140 million to make. It wound up earning $182 million in the U.S. with a total of $328 million worldwide, so it was a pretty big success. Yeah. Actually earned $41 million in its opening weekend, beating another movie that was released the exact same week, previous episode, The Patriot. Dude, Whoa. what a time to be alive. You could slap your dollars down on the counter, get a ticket to either The Patriot or fucking The Perfect, Perfect Storm, Storm, same week? My God. Uh, what a time to be alive, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Perfect Storm was the sixth highest grossing film of that year behind previous episode, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, Castaway, Mission Impossible 2, Gladiator, and What Women Want. What a year. Gladiator. In fact. Oh, my God. Wow. I'm sorry. Just what a a year for the melodrama. Holy (laughs) shit. Uh, Other sort of disaster movies released that year. I mean, similar, obviously, to The Castaway. We were really into that. But um, the Mm -hmm. only two other ones of note were U571. Do you remember that one? The submarine movie, Matthew McConaughey? Um, And a movie I really want to do on this show sometime. (laughs) Vertical Limit, brah. Oh, my God. (laughs) Which uh, I, both of those uh, movies starred Bill Paxton. I feel like these are all all movies that we could have done this week, too. <laughs> so the, the cast of this movie, pretty damn impressive. Their <laughs> Boston accents, or uh, uh, New England accents, uh, to varying degrees. But, of course, the lead here, George Clooney. Uh, he plays Captain Billy Tyne. This was a role that was kind of a lot of actors, not necessarily asking for it, but the director had sought out a lot of actors for this role before it landed on George Clooney anyway. Uh, originally went to Mel Gibson, Nick Cage, and Harrison Ford, um, all considered. Ben Affleck originally sought for the role that eventually went to Marky Mark Wahlberg. But again, great cast. After the film was released, however, two of the uh, crew's family members ended up suing the film makers really? for uh, the fix- fictionalization of the events, which happened prior to the loss of Andrea Gale. Not too happy with the depictions. I believe it was the characters of George Clooney and William Fickner 
who ended up suing. Um, either way, yeah, either way, the case was dismissed. Uh, movie also, by the way, nominated for two Academy Awards for Best Sound and Best Visual Effects. Lost them both to Gladiator. Fair enough. I mean, Gladiator's yeah. Gladiator was pretty stunning at the time. <laughs> and it's uh, rated PG-13 for language and scenes of peril. And Zach, found this really funny. Do you know the uh, IMDb has that like parents guide? Yeah. Which essentially separates, yeah, so it separates all of the content in the movie that could be seen, I guess, as problematic to children. Uh, so if you scroll down, it's like sex and nudity, this film, mild. Uh, violence and gore, it said moderate. And then the first item it says there is like, there are many scenes of a storm at sea with tall crashing waves and wind. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, like your kid's going to be like, oh, fuck. Mommy, what's a wave? Ah, I'm not ready for that conversation. Just talk to your yeah. kids. Just talk to your kids. Tell them what talk waves are. You yeah, know tell what? them what waves and storms the are. The ocean is. Come on. This is basic stuff. Guys. Yeah. Huh. God. And then explain like why the friggin' bar was shaking when two people were upstairs banging. <laughs> All right. Well, anything else, Zach, before we get into this? Um, No. I... I don't think so. And Again, yeah, a movie that we are honestly not too nostalgic about, but a movie I think that was important enough for maybe um, the year it was released, 2000 anyway. I think shaped movies I think, coming after. I think everybody knows about The Perfect Storm. So I don't, yes. I, I don't think this is a wayward episode on our show. So we open in October of 1991 in Gloucester, Massachusetts. I'm not going to do this the whole episode. <laughs> I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Uh, we begin with the uh, the commercial fishing boat Andrea Gale. It's returning to port. There is this like qu- quick. Is Diane Lane having some sort of premonition of nightmare or of like a storm that's not happening, or she wakes up and there is a storm? I feel like yeah. she is. I think, or maybe she's like waking up to a different storm that had been happening. Yeah. But like she's, I, I don't know. It feels like a premonition. A very weird beginning to this. Uh, Diane Lane, though, love her. By the way, this yeah. performance and accent. Uh, gotta say right off the top, maybe the worst in the film. One of, it's one bad. of the worst in the film. It's bad. She's very bad in this movie. Um, <laughs> and I and love Diane case, Lane. Yeah, I do too. But it's, you know, it, it gets a little bit tough when you start asking actors to do accents like the Massachusetts accent. It's, Dude, it yeah. just, it's a tough one to like, cause you're either going to nail it or you're going to fucking fail. There's no middle ground. That's why Clooney doesn't even bother. <laughs> I love it. He's like, I'm from Florida. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> Whatever, man. That's great. Yeah. It always seems like new England and Russian for some reason, actors just go fucking hog wild on. <laughs> yeah, they really do. Or like Brooklyn. Yeah. Oh man. So yeah, this movie, what a classic intro to this town. We got, so it's fade on fade. Uh, kids waving on docks and just she's wearing an old school pats shit yeah you're right exactly he's people are wearing socks hats Socks, yeah i love it i love that um yeah i mean we'll introduce these characters but like fucking mark Wahlberg is wearing a fucking boston red Sox hat because of course he is and then fucking (laughs) i don't know why george clooney's wearing a john deere hat and like the (laughs) rival captain is wearing a cat construction hat like it's just like (laughs) we get it you're freaking blue collar i know i was gonna say how can we convince this (laughs) audience that george clooney's a rough and tumbling fisherman he wears a john deere hat (laughs) oh that's so good so yeah Speaking of that rival fisherman, I guess he's actually the boat owner. This is Michael Ironside, and he's kind of taunting George Clooney, who plays the captain of the Andrea Gale, uh, Billy Tyne. 
over his recent cold streak, um, as well as some very callous remarks over a dead fisherman. <laughs> but, oh, my um, God. They're, like, wheeling this corpse off a boat. And she's like, I lost a guy. And he looks over. He's like, that sucks. How much fish you bring in? <laughs> And Dude, then, the fish game is a brutal in this yeah, movie. And then he's like, he's like, what about you? Whatever. I, I can't even remember his fucking name. He's like, what about you? And George Clooney gives him a number. He's like, didn't bring in a lot of fish. He's like, someone just died. He's like, he was a drunk. Bring in more fish. <laughs> like, <laughs> wow, Jesus. man. My God. Uh, again, and I am always a huge fan of these kind of blue collar working man stories where they focus on the everyman. This one has that like Hollywood polish where it's like, you guys have never done a hard day's work in your fucking lives. It's rich. It's rich people writing a story about yes. not rich yeah. people. It's what it is. Like, it's somehow glamorizing the idea of, like, a hard day's labor. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, meeting up at the local bar to <laughs> swig down some brews yeah. after. Yeah. yeah, that's right on the dock. Yeah, exactly. I love it. It's right on the dock. The crow's nest, by the way, this local bar. Yeah. The crow's nest. So... Which is also like a fucking lodge or something. Yeah. Like they all sleep there too. I'm very confused. Hey, it's the life of a fisherman, dude. Yeah, I guess so. Their catch isn't as big as they wanted. And so one of their crew members just like out and out quits right there on the spot. Another, like most of them are all pretty pissed at just how much they're getting paid or lack thereof. So they all go to, to kind of celebrate slash drown their sorrows at the old crow's nest. Um, we meet some more of the other crew members. We got John C. Riley. He plays Murph. Most of these characters are given just kind of like a broad brushstroke of a personality or a character trait that sort of defines them. His is that he's divorced. Yeah. He's got a son who, by the way, super creepy son. Yep. I did not like the way this kid oh, yeah, smiled. I didn't like the son at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was a weird kid. But yeah, you're right. They all have like John C. Riley has a kid. Uh, what's his name? We got John Hawks. Yeah, you never remember this guy's name. Great character. Never remember his name. Yeah, he's incredible. I just remember him as the um, brother in Eastbound and Down. But um, (laughs) yeah, he plays Bugs. But yeah, his thing is that he's yeah his thing is that he's too horny and like (laughs) there's one guy who's just I guess vaguely Jamaican. Is that what they say? I don't even know if this guy gets a name. He's just thrown to the side every time. Can't remember his name. Exactly. Neither can I. It's sad. Honestly, he's not even listed on the Wikipedia page. The actor, which is like, come on, guys. Yeah, the one of the one actor of color. I had never seen him before. Same. Yeah. I I haven't seen him since either. I don't think. Poor guy. Yeah. But yeah, John Hawks, super horny. He's trying to like hit on this woman at the bar. You know what would look good on you? Me. That old zinger. Yeah. Then we got Billy. Yeah. So Billy, this is a George Clooney. He's convincing the crew, you know, you got to join me for one last late season fishing expedition. We're going to go past where we've ever been before and make more money than you could fucking dream of, boys. Which pisses Diane Lane off because she's like, oh, Mark Wahlberg, who's her boyfriend. He just got home. They're always out. The season's almost over. And then, you know, she's getting mad that he's going to be going back out. So I'm so confused by this. So you and I know that a fishing season is probably only a few months at, you know, at most, maybe a few months. He's the rookie on the boat, right? So this is his first season. Yes, I believe so. Yes. So it's his first season and she's already freaking out that he's gone out too much. Like you got you. Whoa. Like you need to find a different job if. You, your girlfriend hates this so much. <laughs> like, <laughs> why do I even love you? Jesus, it's been like four trips. <laughs> like, <laughs> maybe a few weeks. <laughs> yeah, and she she says it's like, oh, we can do, we, we you can get another job because it's all about, of course, the money and whatnot. So it's like, oh, I'll work weekends, you'll work weekends. It's like, 
if you want more time with the person, I just don't see why. Because then he's yeah, gonna have months more... off after. You know what I mean? After the shit, the the fishing season's over. Exactly. You you're gonna have sweet, all sweet time winter. Off. You're gonna you're gonna have all winter with this guy. Just let him go. Fucking make you a fuck ton of money and come back. But again, they're really. You can tell the filmmakers are really positioning this Diane Lane character as like a harbinger of like bad news, or at least like the someone yeah. who's yeah can see something bad is on the way. Type of deal. Yeah. Exactly. Her premonition. So we cut to them next day. They're loading bait, groceries on the boat. He convinces pretty much most of them to come back. Um, we meet Mary Elizabeth uh, Mastrotonio. Mastrotonio? I always forget. I can't pronounce her name. She's Linda Greenlaw. She's like the captain of the other boat there. They're kind of rival boat. And in this, Linda and George Clooney have sort of this like, you know, they're kind of flirty. Um, mm-hmm. Both captains for the same boat owner. Uh, but again, sort of rivals. I guess this whole part is pretty much fabricated from her yeah. actually putting out the Mayday call for when they do go down, as well as their relationship altogether. They were just kind of like, you know, Co-workers. acquaintances, essentially. Yeah. 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 By the way, you bl- you glossed over Fitchner, too. I was just about to mention that. Yeah. So because one of the crew members did quit uh, at the start of the movie, they do need one man, one more man for the job. And who better than William fucking Fitchner, dude, as Sully. <laughs> Sully. Oh, my God. Who immediately gets in fights with... Uh... John C. Riley, yeah. John C. Riley. He's ripped, by the way, in this movie. He's jacked. Yeah, he's looking great. Yeah, except I mean, for the ti- fact- I mean, tired and weird like always, but also. <laughs> yeah. And I would say next to Diane Lane, it's Mr. William Fickner, whose uh, accent oh, is he's... the most problematic. I think wow. I was texting you about this yesterday when I started reading it, because I was just breaking down. I was like, yeah, Clooney doesn't bother. John C. Riley's in and out, and Fickner is like- I mean, his from the onset, he's doing the old man from Pet Cemetery. <laughs> that is better. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, you want me to go out on the boat, catch some swordfish with you? <laughs> oh man, yeah. I mean, Mark Wahlberg's doing, you know, his Wahlberg. He's from Boston, so he's yeah, he fine did, enough, yeah, he doesn't need to like try. He can yeah, just do it. But yeah, Fickner and Diane Lane. It's kind of funny listening. To yeah, them. they're um, bad. But the crew's ready to go out to sea to catch more fish than they could ever fucking imagine. Oh, my God. Uh, Mark Wahlberg, that next, so they're leaving that morning. By the way, his facial hair in this movie oh, confused me, confounded me. Yeah, didn't know what was it going on. It looks fake, there. right? Patch City. Yeah, yeah it, it looks, looks fake, fake, but I, I don't know why they would make it so stupid looking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe if, like, they're, I don't know. Maybe it's just accurate to the character. I, Honestly, well, that's the other thing is, yeah. Life character it very well could be accurate to just the i I know a lot of people with with people who are like you know they can't quite grow full beards and so they do this patch thing and it's like all right well i mean man you'd probably just look better if you shaved that off but who am i I to say yeah live your life but mark Wahlberg wakes up the next morning and he's like looking in the mirror and he's got a black eye and we play this off as it's sort of romantic and playful but let's call it what it is it's domestic violence (laughs) yeah it's domestic violence well it's it's funny because like again this is like rich people writing what they don't fucking know that like because they're all like complimenting him that his girlfriend like gave him a fucking black eye and it's like that's not like (laughs) you think like fishermen would like yeah they'd give him a hard time but like they they wouldn't all just like laugh it off and she's just like oh did i do that to you i'm so sorry no like that ensues a fight (laughs) i don't care where you are they're like what the fuck like why'd you punch me in the eye and they're all like you know 
uh, hugging on the docks. It's a tearful goodbye for many of them. Um, Bugsy, John Hawks there for the first time, has someone to say goodbye to him, this older lady he was hitting at, hitting on at the bar there, Irene. And so George Clooney seems to be the kind of the, the one who has no one. I mean, John C. Riley's divorced. And um, the uh, Jamaican fellow, who's by the name named Alan Payne, uh, plays Alfred Pierre. Um, he's also got a lady. It seems like all of them have someone except for the fucking sexiest one on the boat, George Clooney. Yeah. But, you know, he's, I call bullshit. Yeah. Well, he's clearly there's like something about like the other captain. Oh, yeah. They clearly have something going on, but it seems like they, they haven't smashed yet. So it seems as though I don't know, man, maybe I, I imagine this is just more so George Clooney himself being like, I don't need one. Woman. Yeah, no, I just need the sea. Exactly. He just I needs just the need sea. fish. <laughs> I want fish. So they're off to venture out past their usual fishing grounds on the Grand Banks of Newfoundland. They start sailing out, and again, most of this movie is just kind of... um, It's the deadliest catch montage. It's deadliest catch montages, as well as cutting back and forth to these sporadic characters that I didn't quite understand. I, I believe... So there's this yacht that's out at sea as well that we'll keep cutting back to with the fucking yep. warden from Shawshank and a few other character actors on there. And so... They're yeah. doing their own thing. There's also the Coast Guard that's mounting some rescue missions. It's like, I think they're trying to add to the sort of disaster epic feel where there's like a bunch of characters all trapped in the storm. But so much of the runtime is dedicated to the fishing, like the Andrea Gale and like all the characters on it. It seems though as though that stuff just sort of detracts from it. Like the extra, yeah. whatever we cut away. I think what they're doing is trying to show like what the extenuating circumstances are as to why the Andrea Gale was not rescued. Sure. Because, you know, it's, it becomes a thing and we're going to get, obviously we're going to go through this, but you know, it starts with the people on the yacht, then the Coast Guard has to go get them. Then the Coast Guard runs out of fuel. Then they have to crash. Then they can't rescue the Gale. So it's just like a lot of thing. And then we're cutting to the meteorologists in Boston who are trying to explain very poorly why this storm is so nuts. So it's just, I think it's just sort of building this tension, but it's so choppy and like weirdly done. And like the whole time, I mean, like you're just confused for a lot of this movie because you're like, why do I care about these fucking people on the yacht? Yeah, same. And it really doesn't make sense until the very end of the movie. And it's like, I, you know, I get what you're going for, but I feel like it could have been done better or just a better explanation of it. Agreed. Speaking of, yeah, the meteorologist there, we do meet Shooter McGavin as weather daddy himself, Christopher McDonald. That was great. I guess he's playing real-life meteorologist Todd Gross. The the station here was WNEV-TV, which doesn't exist. I guess that's the present-day WHDH-TV. Um, yeah. But anyway, yeah, he notices this storm brewing and, and believes that if, you know, these certain circumstances were to happen, it would be the perfect storm. Oh, my God. And yeah, back on the boat, we find out, I guess all of the guys, including George Clooney, are divorced. Even Mark Wahlberg, who I thought was like a budding relationship with Diane Lane, both of them are now divorced and are having their own relationship. And like, it seems all the other guys on here are divorced. Mark Wahlberg, by the way, always out of breath. I've noticed that in most of his performances, but he breathes so heavily and throughout much of this runtime. For a dude in the shape that he's in, too. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, well, what's going on, man? It's okay, man. Slow down. 
And the boys, they find a nice fishing ground eventually. And the fishing, it looks like a rowdy good time. It's all set okay. to some ZZ Top, dude. Yeah. Also, so, you know, the whole, there's a whole like montage of them like striking out too. And then they like basically tell him like, hey, like, let's just turn around. Like, we're not going to do it. And George Clooney gives like the worst like inspirational speech I think I've ever heard in a movie. <laughs> It literally, he literally is just like, he basically calls them pussies and they're like, yeah, you're right. Let's go fishing. <laughs> but it works, dude. I mean, it works, but it's also just sloppy. <laughs> As is the, this rivalry between John C. Riley and William Fichtner. I don't know yeah, really why no. they're at odds fighting with each other. It seems like just to have some sort of he conflict among the me. guys. He said something to me at the bar. Yeah, I guess. All right. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's stupid. There, um, the fishing scenes. I guess Wolfgang Peterson is a animal rights activist, so none of these are real fish. I thought that the fish actually looked pretty fish good, and honestly, good, the fish yeah. scenes of them catching shit, pulling them out, like it's pretty exciting. It's like well photographed, looks good. Most of the effects in this movie seems to just be trying to convince you that they are in the middle of the ocean, like. They're obviously mm-hmm. like a bunch of storm related things similar to like Twister later on. But most of this yeah. stuff is just like we have to convince you this is real. And for the most part, they do a pretty good job. Yeah, I think towards the storm, the actual storm, it becomes at least to me a little obvious that they're on a stage. Some of it. Yes. Yep. Um, but it, uh, for the most part. Yeah. I mean, they, it does look pretty good. There's a pretty sick scene in which they accidentally hook a shark during the storm and it washes on the deck. And somehow, somehow. Fucking Mark Wahlberg's leg gets caught in the jaws of this shark. I don't know, like what? Because he keeps doing. kicking it. <laughs> That's right. He literally. He might like, as well Ow. just put. He might Ow. as well just put his fucking foot in the mouth of the shark. I'm gonna bite you. You keep putting that foot in you. I'm keep gonna bite you. Fu- I'm gonna bite you, bud. <laughs> All right, here we go. Here we go. Tick a wicked tear out of your shin. Yeah. I hope you didn't like that boat. <laughs> Thankfully, George Clooney, though, he saw Jaws and he follows the page right out of Quinn's book. He's got the fucking emergency shotgun ready. <laughs> Puts a slug thing. right in that fucking shark. <laughs> Shoots him right, right in that shark's head. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and just like a lot of fishermen, instead of using the shark for anything, they just throw it overboard. <laughs> God damn it. God damn it. I was going to say, why wouldn't you just. Yeah, I was it? like going to say, you could I, sell it, do something. People, with it. I was going to say, people eat shark. I've eaten You've shark. You've already it's killed it. Oh, okay. You've never had shark? I don't think I have. I have had gator. I've had gator too, but shark yeah. shark's pretty good. Okay. Okay. Try shark. Eat shark. <laughs> we're a pro eating shark podcast. We're a pro I shark. I don't know if yeah, I like we're a pro it. shark eating podcast. It's I Shark do. Week, I man. Love it. Yeah. This is um where we get one of the F bombs in the movie. This is uh, Mark Wahlberg and George Clooney blow up at each other. They have this big argument as to where, you know, you keep bringing us out further and further. We're not finding fish. Um, why am I here type of deal? And George Clooney mm-hmm. delivers one of my favorite lines in the movie. I'll find the fish, so don't fuck with me. <laughs> <laughs> it is. That's a good out of context fucking. I'll find the fish. Don't fuck with me. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, um, at one point, you know, they're all kind of in uh Low spirits. John C. Riley somehow gets a fucking hook through his hand, and he's ripped off the boat, pulled Jesus, underwater. I Terrifying scene. <laughs> don't remember this being as like because I thought like maybe he would just get like tangled up or like you know a loop around his foot or something. I don't remember the fishing hook going through his hand. Yeah. Ow. And honestly, 
I would have thought would just like the pure force of it ripped his fucking arm. It would have ripped. I th- I thought it would have ripped right through his hand. I thought it would literally just like he would just have a massive gash in his hand. It might yeah. have to like, but no, it just, like pulls him in. Yeah, and so Mark Wahlberg, William Fickner jump in to rescue him. And because, you know, Fickner jumped in, that sort of finally squashes their beef a little bit. It's just so masculine, you know what I mean, the way they treat each other. Because yeah. when they finally apologize, they don't really apologize. It's more just like a punching each other's shoulder, like, we're okay now. <laughs> <laughs> we're good. Uh, <laughs> I think a lot of this movie is also bending over backwards to try and convince you there's no... I just kept wondering, like, why haven't they heard about this fucking storm yet? Like, I just don't understand. Like, all these other characters have all received faxes yeah. or like, the meteorologist is putting out all these weather alerts. It's just like, well, so, and they have the radio. They have the, like, the contact. I just don't know why they haven't he, heard about it. And he does receive one fax, and he doesn't even, like, share it with the crew. He just kind of looks at it. He's like, oh, big storm coming. And it's like... Yeah, and... <laughs> well... Yeah. <laughs> well, I'd imagine that's probably why the family members had problems with this because I can't imagine in the real story them them knowing about these this this immense storm and just deciding like you know what fuck it money's more important. It it makes it look like the captain has so much blood on his hands. Yeah, or that it really yeah, does. It's New England like, it pride look, that killed these men. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I I I understand why the the family of the captain might have sued because it really does make him look very complacent in the, in the idea that he's going to just put the lives of these men at risk for a couple of fish. Yeah. Um, and I, I do, again, I respect the fact that this is their way of living. This is how, how they make their money. And so it's obviously very important to them, especially in this, you know, not small mm-hmm. town, but this new England town, it seems as though, you know, they're obviously kind of on hard times or it's not, you know, this is lower middle, middle class type workers. And so they need this, yeah. they need this to live. And so I get that. And, and this, this kind of brings me to my large point of my biggest problem with this movie that I've kind of been thinking since the credits started rolling, which is just that the stakes of it seem so, low in terms of like the risk you know what i mean like i i think any good captain and you know this actually did happen so i don't know i don't want to speak ill of of what this guy was thinking and i do understand that it's their livelihood and it's you know their job and they need to come home and make money for their family but at the same time i think any captain would have looked at a situation like this and been like you know what it's not worth it your lives are way more important. Yeah. Bringing you home to your family is more important to me than a couple of swordfish. So I, and, and this movie ignores that idea. It just completely ignores that yeah. idea. I mean, they all say like, well, no, we still got the catch. Like we got to bring the fish home. And it's, and George Clooney is constantly yeah. like, let's just sail through danger because we got to get these fish. Like I got to prove myself. And it's like that. I don't yeah. think that's how that happened. I think so it's it's the stakes in it are just very confusing to me and I think it it just kind of muddles the idea of like why this would be happening. Yeah, and and positioning the movie behind George Clooney's character who does who's the one character really out of them who doesn't have I not well, not the one character, but one of the characters who really doesn't have any sort of ties to the mainland like he's not mm-hmm. there's nothing he's fighting for other than his own pride really. It's not like a family right. or anything and so with without that motivation for him, you're kind of just left with Oh, this guy not necessarily has a death wish, but clearly just cares more about the money. And but like, it definitely makes it look like he killed five people. Kind of, or at least it's definitely like more than partially responsible. Yeah, it could so have been. I, it could have been avoided. Is what eventually. Yeah, yeah, it does. It it does feel a little irresponsible in that sense. 
Yeah. So they do finally make it to the Flemish cap, which is way fucking middle of nowhere, uh, way further than they've ever been before. And that's when Linda, uh, the other like boat captain there, finally radios him asking him, like, why are you out so far? What, what are you what's doing? happening? Yeah. Hey, yeah. it's where the fish is. It's where the fish is. Dude, <laughs> fish. As far as the fucking eye can see, it's a fish orgy. Fish is there. <laughs> fish is there. Also, swordfish steak. Mm, God, this movie made me hungry. This Seafood. fucking guy, dude. Oh, by the way, what'd you think of the um, the soundtrack here with these guitar licks? <laughs> but, you know, it's funny because that was another thing on the YouTube was that everybody was like, the score is amazing. I was like, is it? Is it? I yeah, I don't know. <laughs> It's it's like decent in these like high octane like adventure scenes where it's trying Mm -hmm. to pump you up, but then every once in a while it'll cut to an exterior of the bone. It's like like Con Air. It reminded me of Con Air. Yeah, it does (laughs) remind me of Con Air. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, uh, how did I feel about it? Not great. (laughs) So again, yeah, it's a straight frenzy there. I mean, catching more fish than they've ever had, and then like you know they're packing all the coolers. Everything seems to be dope, and then you know all good things must come to an end, and the freezer breaks which means they need to haul ass back home before the fish spoils um, in order for any of this to actually make yeah. it to market. So they got to sail straight through the fucking yeah. storm. And, like, they're they're all okay with it, too. And, again, I don't know if, like, he's just not privy to the latest information because... I think that's what it is at this point, yeah. Yeah, and then by the time he, like... By the time they do, they like realize what's happening. Everybody else, they don't have like the radio connection or the fax connection to like actually get that because at that point it feels like Clooney probably would have just turned around. But I, again, the the depiction of this character and his motivation is so askew that I don't know if he had gotten that fax if he would have turned around. Yeah, same. I don't know. Uh, I do. This is this is where. Uh, Christopher McDonald, uh, you know, Shooter McGavin finally explains what the perfect storm, I guess, technically is. So gives us the title drop and everything. It, it's basically a nor'easter that absorbed Hurricane Grace and then ultimately yeah. evolved into a small, unnamed hurricane itself late in its life cycle. It is overblown and it's not necessarily, it wasn't a category five, what they said. I think it was a cat, like at certain points, was category two or this or that. Again, a lot of things here, historical accuracy be damned but i'm it yeah, was exactly it was like a, a once in a lifetime at the time experience weather relation anyway I, I i think it probably was a mess at sea but so i but it again probably didn't need to overblow it but whatever and you know not to say that it was i think it cost something i was reading up a bit on it like i think believe 13 people total died during the storm it cost like 200 million dollars in damages and shit so it, it was a pretty big storm oh yeah but what the the movie does you know is, is it's gonna fucking hollywood it and basically it makes it out more like a fucking like twister or these like you know almost otherworldly like holy shit yeah like fuck at this point there's a rescue chopper the coast guard's out trying to rescue the uh people who are stranded in the yacht because they've kind of capsized and a lot of these these scenes are really well photographed and they're exciting. Like these are these are great scenes in a bottle. I think I like a lot of the stuff with the choppers trying to rescue these people. It just again seems like it's not necessarily from a different movie, but just so detached from the storyline we're invested in that I just don't necessarily care all that much that happens other than the fact that like, oh yeah, I guess I hope these people live, but I have no attachment to them. Exactly. I think yeah, if if maybe we had spent like five minutes introducing the the characters on the helicopter 
Yeah, then maybe yeah. I give it. Then maybe I give a shit more. But it does. It feels just like a distraction at this point. Yes, just kind of like not bloating the runtime, but just adding more of these action sequences just to kind of keep you going. Um, and again, they're they're well done. It's just it just I think yeah, it just detracts. I think. I kind of see the point too, because if I just watch two straight hours of them like getting thrown about the boat straight, I might like I might have gotten bored, and I do get bored at at times because like maybe not bored isn't the right word, but frustrated because it's just like watching like people struggle, like they can't move two feet. It's it's a frustrating watch, but I understand that that's probably what was happening. Yeah. So there's this, you know, they're jumping in the water. They got the cages they're, They rescue all three of those people. And that's when they get the Mayday call for the Andrea Gale. Um, the other boat owner, the boat captain girl, she puts it in Linda. And anyway, so at this point, they have to drop the people they just rescued off on another like a ship or a car. Yeah, like yeah, a, a cargo ship type deal. Coast Guard ship. Yes. And so they have to drop them off there and then head back out to try and rescue the uh, crew members of the Andrea Gale. But they need to refuel first. Yes. And that is a whole other scene in which them trying to refuel. And by the way, I found these these, these planes that fucking soar through the middle of these hurricanes to measure the winds. And all. Dude, that is one of the most terrifying so cool. fucking jobs I could imagine. I know. I don't know who fucking signs up for that job. That was cool to me, though. Yeah, I love that whole part. Honestly, that was really cool. And I love this whole scene of them trying to refuel mm-hmm. midair and like the difficulty of getting this like fucking like nozzle and this other uh, hose or whatever yeah. in the middle of a hurricane. Jesus Christ. Jesus. Yeah. That's intense. The Andrew Gale, meanwhile, has lost its antenna, taken a beating. The storm is raging on. And I, it's so funny. So Mark Wahlberg is then in the... Um, you know, the cabin, Clooney there in the cabin. Yeah, they they keep they keep doing these premature celebrations where they're like they'll they'll soar over one or two waves and be like, "Fuck yeah, dude, we did it!" Like everyone, we're, we're crushing <laughs> this until the goddamn like windshield like caves in. Yeah, the anchor the anchor comes through the windshield. Yeah, that's insane. And then it's, they start flooding, and then it's from here on out, it's just you know a lot of special effects thrown at the screen, but also it it seems really very very practical. Honestly, a lot of the stuff set on the boat anyway except for when we get these kind of wide shots a lot of water wasted on sound stages <laughs> exactly sure sure george clooney has to climb this mast in order to remove the anchor because it keeps just swinging around smashing yeah, he's got shit. like a fucking blowtorch that he's just like casually <laughs> hanging on to and it's on <laughs> yeah and he's one all fucking over. yeah and there's water all over the place one fucking slip and that thing takes his hand off by seven degree burns yeah yeah, a few of the guys end up going overboard. They're pulled back on uh, on deck and shit. And you know, this is kind of the big action set piece of the movie, really. And the rescue helicopter tries to respond, but they fail to perform that midair refueling with the Hercules. So the helicopter crew has to decide they got to ditch their aircraft. This is a pretty good scene. I like this again too. I like mm-hmm. I like this whole part. I just wish it was kind of incorporated better I into the I mean, film. Yeah, I I agree. It it really like honestly, it becomes. A point where, like, do you, would you rather just see a Coast Guard movie? Yeah. The Guardian, dude. Ashton Kutcher. Kevin Costner. That's right, bit That's right, dude. But they, I, so yeah, they have to leap out. The pilot's kind of stays behind with the helicopter, basically, to, like, crash it g- as gently as he can into the water. And, you know, most of the, I believe one of those guys ends up dying in real life, or at least in the story, who gets stranded or, or yeah, does end up drowning. Yeah, there's one guy who drowns that they end up losing him but yeah but they do save like everybody else does does end up um getting saved anyway at this point the the ship you know the andrea gale's barely holding together uh, at the and really um 
It, oh, wait, sorry. We do cut back to the mainland at one point. Every once in a while, we'll see what Diane Lane's up to and her yeah. and like Mark Wahlberg's mom. We even yeah. get to see some of Irene. But there is this scene where, where Michael Ironside kind of walks into the bar and is just like. And they're all staring at him because <laughs> yeah. it's like, you fucked them. You fucked yeah. these people. Diane Lane's like yelling at him and I hate the game. and sobbing. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's the game. Yeah. That's the game. <laughs> the Andrea Gale's getting slammed to shit. They roll over at one point. And I, I mean, again, I don't know too much about boats, but it seems like a lot of these boats can just kind of roll over and then capsize and then right themselves. And they're kind of good, except for there's a little extra water yeah, on board. Yeah, it's kind of what it seems like. That's They're moving and grooving after this still. And at that point, again, there's another like fucking every 10 minutes they celebrate like, yeah, we got through it, man. Everything's OK. Oh, no. Because he makes the decision. He's like, you know what? Fuck the fish. We'll turn around. We'll we'll ride out the storm. But it's like clearly too late at that point. So like they do this like ridiculous turning maneuver that they're trying to get done before like a huge wave capsizes them. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, we did it. We turned around. It's like, okay, well, you still got like. You're still you're still in a you're still in the storm. middle of a storm. Yeah. And like you're driving towards another one. Like yeah. technically non-stop like, waves. I don't like you're going to do this after every one. You don't die after. I mean, yeah. I guess that's going to keep you going. But. I guess, yeah. A lot but, of premature celebration. Yeah, there. I know so more. No more so, rather than when the sky like clears, mm-hmm. the sun starts shining through, and they're like, "When oh, they fuck, we're safe." Mark Wahlberg's like, "We're gonna make it, Skip," and it's like, "You're a sailor, man. You should know that that's the eye of the storm, and <laughs> yeah. like you've got maybe two minutes of respite <laughs> before you're gonna get crushed yeah. again. Unless, dude, you ride the eye. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I honestly, I thought about it. I was like, I don't know why they didn't. Could you? Yeah, I guess you'd have to just like. <clears throat> well, man, I mean, yeah, you'd have to hit. You'd movie. have to. That's you'd have movie. to hit that storm eventually, though. I guess. Sure, sure. But It'd catch uh, up to you eventually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then shit's about to get even worse. There's this enormous wave, and we get that sort of iconic poster art, like of the ship kind of riding the rope just wave. Before. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, the boat capsizes, flips over, floods, and again. I mean, watching this movie for the first time, I do remember even as a kid being like, they're going to make it like this like for for a movie that's such like a rousing working yeah. man's like celebration. It's like, oh, well, I mean, these guys are going to make it out of here. I thought they? at least Mark Wahlberg was going to make it. Yeah. And it's like, fuck, man. Nope. You'd expect in a story. You'd, if you didn't know the story, you'd you'd expect them all to survive just watching this movie without any sort of you know knowledge of the true events. But no, 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 no. They all they all drown. They all drown. Um. And like it's very unceremonious for most of them too. John C. Riley, Muggsy, um, the unnamed Jamaican man. Yeah, I don't even remember watching him die. No, he he barely um, gets anything. William Fickner like tries to doesn't escape. Doesn't say anything. Yeah, he yeah, gets trapped like, in a room, and you just see again. You don't necessarily watch a lot of them die. It's just the water rising. I will the say only line being John C. Riley saying this is going to be hard on my boy. I was going to say, dude, that is a like this will be hard on my boy as your last words is fucking devastating. Yeah, that's Whew. that's yeah, that that pulls the heartstrings a little bit. And friggin Clooney decides to go down with the ship because that's what a captain does. That's right. Yeah. Him and Wahlberg have like a quick conversation um, and both of them take a little longer than anticipated to finally just be like, all right, we should probably leave. And they start swimming yeah. out. And then Wahlberg looks behind and George Clooney, you know. He stays behind with the ship. 
And then Wahlberg like makes it to the surface and you're like, all right, maybe Wahlberg's going to live. And then it just sort of starts like pulling out any monologue. He does have a monologue that I wish wasn't in because it's kind of cheesy with him doing this whole yeah. his whole Boston accent over this. Yeah, it's stupid, <laughs> you just can't but... you can't make a lot of dialogue sound beautiful. Can you hear or... me, Christine? <laughs> exactly. You just can't make it sound very soulful or beautiful with that like hard New England accent. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. But... Love is love, Christine. I love you. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. And then you get that pull out with him just a speck in the water and you're like oh well, he's not making it out of this this is no he's yeah. di- i mean maybe if the coast guard was coming but <sighs> but yeah um we do find out on the news later that they've suspended the search or ended rather the search for the rescue jumper and for the andrea gale so some time has passed i think it's a five days or a week or so out so they're all enough assumed for a dead. funeral yep enough for a funeral we do see linda uh the other boat captain who reads the eulogy at the memorial um you know diane lane kind of has a nice goodbye with Mark Wahlberg's mom saying that, you know, she'll always love him, that type of stuff. And then we do get some more uh, George Clooney VO over the end here that, yeah, it just sort of ends with a title card that reads dedicated to the 10,000 Gloucestermen who have died at sea since 1623. It's a lot of guys. Yeah, that's a lot of guys. It's a lot of guys who have died at sea. Yeah. Almost like it's a really dangerous profession very dangerous profession who especially and we're also overfishing but that's a whole other thing dude. yeah but we can talk about that later yeah on other other podcasts on, too much fish question mark too much for too much fish question mark part of the nostalgia be damn podcast network on patreon <laughs> <laughs> oh well that was the perfect storm dude yeah there it is Kind of, yeah, kind of a, an unceremonious uh, <laughs> movie itself. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know necessarily. It's one that, that I don't think I'll remember a f- long after I've watched it. I, I can't quite describe how, it, again, it's not necessarily that it's um, yeah. a small scale or I just can't quite describe the fact that it just seems very, it's a very generic, okay um, disaster flick. Nothing more, nothing less. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I think... I might as well just give my freaking opinion on it, I guess. But yeah, um, yeah, I it, it really, like you said, it's so unremarkable. It which is weird because I at the time it was very high budget. The CGI stood out. I guess it just maybe hasn't aged well because the CGI doesn't look as impressive today as it probably did back then. Not that's not to say it isn't. I mean, there's a lot of CGI going into it. The characters are unremarkable. Like I harped on earlier, the motivation behind it is weird and like maybe a little irresponsible by filmmakers and they do have this almost like circus adaptation of what a blue collar worker looks like. They I you know, you and I worked on the coast of Maine. We both know what these what these towns are like and what these people are like and it does seem like hollywood like an la writer's idea of what a coastal fisherman does and how they live yeah many of them don't look like george clooney or mark Wahlberg. (laughs) yeah it just reminds me of a hollywood writer's idea of what these people are like and so i i just i i don't know it feels very out of touch for a movie that's supposed to be about a small town and about, you know, hardworking guys. It, it, it feels remarkably out of touch, um, in terms of character. And it doesn't help that we're making people do Boston accents, which are very, very tough to do. Um, you know, at least without making fun of it. So I, I don't know. It's, it's, I wouldn't say it's a bad movie. 
I really wouldn't. Um, but I wouldn't say it's you know I if you're nostalgic about it, you probably love it. If you had never seen it before, man, I, you know you probably you know it's a good way to kill two hours. But I'm not gonna tell you you're gonna find your new favorite movie watching this. So um, the Rotten Tomato score is a 49. I I think it's higher than that. I'll I'll give it a 65. I think it's you know it's perfectly acceptable. It's passable. It's it's fresh, maybe not certified fresh, but it, you go ahead and watch it if you if you remember it. Um, if you're new to it, you could probably skip it, but it's you know it's fine. Yeah, honestly, that's just, I I hate to sound so dismissive and just be like you know this kind of dance, but like I mean it is though. Yeah, it's, sets yeah. out what it wants to like accomplish and does so fine admirably it's a well cast movie thankfully i think the cast helps a lot here as does the direction i think wolfgang peterson really understands those big epic productions and so the action the set pieces they all look good it's well photographed well staged um again i just wish that some of the performances or accents rather honestly it's just the accents diane lane william fickner in particular yeah diane lane (laughs) do you know scrape some nails against the chalkboard every so often but i think yeah they're clearly trying to tell this sort of like heartfelt working class story. It does feel a bit phony at times, but I will say their their heart's clearly in the right place with the exception of, I think, some of the depictions of the captain in particular um, and just maybe his motivations. I, I, again, I don't know what... Maybe the, bo- maybe the boat owner. Too. Sure, sure, yeah. The boat owner's pretty You bad. know, I, you gotta have villains in these things and I guess so that, you know, they kind of position some characters to be when maybe they weren't in real life. You can clearly do some research on the historical historical inaccuracies regarding the film there's plenty but i do think it's a decent yeah. uh dramatization of these events and yeah for a disaster film perfectly serviceable so I- i'm gonna agree with you it's i don't think it's a better than a 47 percent. i think maybe people were hung up on the fact that there really isn't much character and i think maybe after movies like titanic and you know these big bu- and gladiator even this same year where we have these sort of yeah. epics with a lot of character development and whatnot i think this one probably paled in comparison at the time but, yeah, the bar was set pretty high. Yes, yes. And even like the same year as Castaway, where you've got this disaster movie centered on one man, and that's like all you're dealing with is this character. I feel like this right. one probably, in comparison, yeah, looked a little less sophisticated. But I think in retrospect, it's it's a perfectly fine movie. So I'm going to match it. Pro- I'll give it like a 60. I think it is. It's a fresh, not necessarily certified fresh, but it's a movie. Uh, yeah, you could, if you want to kill two hours, it's a dad movie. It's a classic oh, dad movie. 100%. You know what I mean? It's a dad movie. But yeah. um, that's not too bad 21 years later. So I'd, I'd say recommend it. If you liked it back in the day, you'll probably like it just as much now. And if you haven't seen it ever, yeah, not a bad watch. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Awesome. All right, there we go. Perfect storm. Uh, Brandon, any recommends you want to make before we tell people what our next episode is? Uh, Yeah, man. So since our uh, last episode, I did catch up on all three of those Fear Street movies on Netflix. That like horror trilogy. Dude, honestly, not too bad. Like from what I was expecting, like a harder edged Goosebumps. It's much better than that. (laughs) Interesting, because I had it pegged as bad. So that's good to know. Honestly, I'd say it's not too bad. I, I did watch The Tomorrow War. Did you see this one? The Chris Pratt? <laughs> I did not. <laughs> I thought about it, but I did it's not. It's pretty dumb. Uh, the character design of like the creature is kind of cool. It's it's just a less, you know, it's like a C plus Edge of Tomorrow. <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? okay. And then the last one I watched was uh, one that we'll probably talk about, Zach. Uh, Space Jam, New Legacy. Yeah, that was that's also on my, on my uh, list of things. So I don't want to tip... I don't want us to tip our hands on the new Space Jam, even though people might be able to guess. Um, but 
<laughs> I don't want us to tip our hands on the new Space Jam because Brandon and I have been talking about a new podcast that we're starting potentially to Patreon users. Um, and it would just make sense that our first episode of Nostalgia Be Damn was the original Space Jam, that our new podcast, the first episode, would be the new Space Jam. So we're so we're going to not tip our hands, I think, on this one, Brandon. But yeah, um, yeah. But we can both say that we've watched it. That that is true. I did, in fact, watch it. Um, yeah, throwing a, throwing around ideas of, of possibly starting up this uh, you know additional podcast where we could just touch on newer movies that maybe relate to movies we've covered or movies of the week that we're releasing or this or that. But just um, yeah, we'll get into that later if that's something that um, works out. But Zach, have you have anything that you wanted to recommend, not recommend? Uh, you know, I would just go, I would just say since our last episode came out, um, I think you should leave with Tim Robinson season two came out. It's still good. It's still amazing. It's, oh my it's God. It's so good. Movie, or show. Yeah, it's great. That was really it. I saw a bunch of movies that I think everybody's seen. So, <laughs> you know, um, but other than that, yeah, just Tim Robinson. It's, it's perfect. Yeah, Netflix is killing it with their sketch comedy. Did you see their new show, the series with Bob Odenkirk and David Cross have their own sketch show now on Netflix? Oh, that's been on there for a while. I've seen it. It's, has it? That's also yeah. That's also pretty funny. With Bob and David or something, like, or with David yeah, and Bob? With, yeah. With, okay. With Bob and David. Yeah, that's been there for a while. But oh, um, okay. I just because I just remember the fr- <laughs> I remember the first sketch where they're talking about um. God, I'm going to butcher it anyway, but where they're all giving their New Year's resolution. It's all like really like stupid shit. And one guy is finally like goes like, I'm going to cut out red meat. And they all think he's fucking crazy and they'll never be able to do it. Like one guy's like, I want to become a pope, even though he's Jewish. (laughs) And they're all like, well, that's a good idea. (laughs) Then one guy's like, yeah, I'm going to cut out red meat. What the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, no, that. I think you should leave with Tim Robinson's season. Oh, my God, dude. Have you gotten through the whole thing? No, not yet. It's so dumb. (laughs) I love it. It is. It's incredible. I'm about four episodes in, though. It's great. Uh, So next week, uh, I believe we're traveling to the year 2001 for a Fairly Brothers comedy, a movie that I remember seeing the trailer for and being like, oh, that's a funny movie. That's going to be a fucking like all-time comedy right there. (laughs) Yeah, and God damn it, it's going to be... It's going to be so fun to revisit because I I thought the exact same thing. We're watching fucking our second Jack Black vehicle. At least our second. Third? Yeah, maybe third. I can't remember. But yeah. Anyway, we're watching Shallow Hell. Shallow Hell. Wow. Oh, man. And this, of course, being the one with Jack Black where he is it Tony Robbins who puts like a some sort of curse yeah. or magic trick on him where in which he sees um women as as, as they truly are like their personality dictates yeah. how he views them yeah yeah it's like it, it, it because he's like he's a guy with impossibly high like standards or like yeah. he only wants like hot babes or something like that <laughs> which is just a, a, a confounding casting choice that it's jack black and i believe his best friend's jason alexander like why are these two yeah. guys the yeah two- why are these two the ones who are like fucking, no she's not yeah, hot it enough. doesn't make <laughs> yeah exactly it doesn't make any sense like make it like fucking I don't know. Yeah, Ryan Reynolds or someone of, like you'd see the, yeah, yeah, any of the millions of hunky like good-looking attractive guys in Hollywood. <laughs> Jack Black, <laughs> like the fact that a fat guy would be so like up in arms about fat yeah, women. Like it's ridiculous. But maybe maybe that's so maybe that's crazy. the point of the movie. Yeah, it's again, I I haven't seen I, this we'll one. We'll have to yeah, see it. in at least 15 years. 
at least. Yo, it's been a long, yeah. long time since I've seen Shallow How. I do remember Jason Alexander has a tail. <laughs> That's right. Because and then there's a woman with a big toe or something like that. Like he's. I don't oh, remember. Gosh. It's it's gonna be great. I just remember the underwear scene that they were like lauding in fucking trailers. <laughs> It's going to be a fun oh, episode. Yeah. I'm looking and that one to is that. on HBO Max. Is that correct right now? Yes, but it is leaving by the end of the oh, month. So by the so time the episode releases, it'll probably be already gone. It'll probably be off. So I recommend you go to watch it quick. Watch Shallow yeah. Hell. Yeah. Watch it quick. Or watch your Unless DVD you... of it. Yeah. Yeah. Watch your DVD of it because we all have DVDs. Of Shallow Hell. Yeah. 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 Yes. You do, don't you? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do it. <laughs> I knew it. Uh, we can't uh, even make fun myself, of yeah. We dude, can't yeah. even make fun of the audience because you're a fucking nerd. Anyway, uh, well, yeah. Tune in for next week's episode on Shallow How. You can check out all of our episodes where we're originally hosted on Podbean. That's nbd.podbean.com. But you can find us on any real uh, app uh, wherever you download your podcast. You sure freaking can, Brandon. Don't forget to write us a review. Please, and tell a friend, for the love of God. Also, we're active on more of our social media platforms, so follow us on Instagram. Write us on Twitter. We're taking requests on Twitter. We're writing them down. We've got them. We got a Mary-Kate and Ashley fucking <laughs> request, and it's on the list. It's coming up. Um, so Exactly. Yeah, don't think that your voices aren't heard. They are. Just write us in. and no, uh, they are. Write us. Yeah, you can also email us at nostalgiabedamnedpod at gmail.com for any requests, questions, anything you'd like us to maybe review on the uh, uh, future patreon episodes again things that we're uh, contemplating right now just waiting to see our audience numbers climb up there a bit more and then yeah we're gonna start getting into some more additional content yeah hey, if you want brandon and us to take off our shirts and send you photos it's gonna cost you money yeah maybe a dollar a month uh yeah maybe so yeah subscribe to get some zach and brandon titty shots let's let's on the episode yeah that's about where we'll end it uh have yeah, a good week to be good people and uh yeah wash your hands sweet <laughs>